He is the saving one. That is the truth. Let's stand together, church family, and uh, read from God's Word from Acts chapter 17. So I'd invite you to stand as we read uh, the Scripture. What would you say if you had one opportunity to share the gospel with people who had never heard before and you'd never see again? How would you share? That's what we've got here in Acts chapter 17, the second part of our two-part little sub-series here. Paul in Athens, provoke spirit to proclaim truth. Here's what Paul says when he's given the opportunity. Oh, God, give us grace that if we're given the opportunity to share, we're ready to share. Here's what Paul says. So verse 22, Acts 17. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he's not actually far from each one of us. You hear that? He's not really all that far away. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we indeed are his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, and this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, others said, we'll hear you again about this so paul so paul excuse me went out from their midst but some men joined and believed among whom also were dionysius the areopagite and a man named i'm sorry a woman named damaris and others with them let's pray together oh father these things be so these things be so give us help by the holy spirit i'm asking father in jesus name to open up our eyes to the power and authority of what your word says here. And if these things be so, they are extremely important for our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you may be seated. Again, we're here. We're studying through the book of Acts. And uh, Paul has arrived in Athens. He's not going to be there long. He's got one, one chance, one opportunity to preach to this group of people at a place called the Areopagus, right? A really well-known place in Athens at the time. What an opportunity. Hey, friends, if you've got an opportunity to share Jesus, do you take it, number one? And then number two, what do you say when you're given the opportunity? Now, Paul's not going to be here any more than this one afternoon. If we were to read Acts 18, 1 after this, Paul left Athens. He's leaving Athens. He, and he's going to go to Corinth. He'll spend 18 months in Corinth. He'll leave Corinth to go to Ephesus. He'll spend three years in Ephesus. He's just here one solitary afternoon. And, and, and he's not coming back. He'll never preach in Athens again. He's got one chance at it. What do you say? What's important? What's essential? What's necessary? 
Well, Paul preaches a sermon, and I believe in his sermon he gives what we might call the um, non-negotiable essentials of, 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 of a biblical worldview, a biblical mindset. Hey, everybody's got a worldview, and every worldview has to answer three questions. You ready for them? Here are the three questions. Where in the world did we come from? All right, look around. Here we are. Where did we come from? Question number one. Number two, what are we doing here? Got an answer for that question in your life, by the way? And, and then three, third question, a worldview's got to answer is, where are we going? Now, if you look over Paul's sermon, guess what? He does a pretty good job of answering all three of those questions, doesn't he? He's got, a, he's got an answer for the question, where did we come from? He's got an answer for the question, what are we doing here? And he's got an answer for the question, where are we going? Hey, you need to know those things in your own life. Some people think we can ignore these questions. They don't want to think about these questions. Paul says this is very urgent to think through these questions. So uh, let's look at what Paul has to say. But by way of reminder, on your outline there, the first point is what we looked at last week. It's a provoked spirit leads to proclaimed truth. If you look back up here in verse 16, when Paul arrives in Athens, verse 16, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. If idolatry doesn't provoke your spirit, what that probably means, what that probably means is you, you actually have idolatry in your life. All an idol is is a God replacer. Everybody worships something. And it's, it's amazing the variety of things we worship. Some people worship money. Some people worship athletics. Some people, a lot of people, in fact, I think in my opinion in America, worship entertainment. It's just what can I be entertained by today? Some people worship um, um, uh, a sexual idol. There's all sorts of idols. But Paul's spirit's provoked when he sees that the worship that belongs to God is given to something else. And uh, you'll never be a witness for the gospel if you're yourself an idolater, and you'll never be a witness for the gospel until you really love people. That's what the foundation is here for Paul. He goes and talks to people, not because he wants to argue with everybody. That's not Paul's heart here, is it? He doesn't want to pick a fight. He wants to point people to a creator, the God of the, of the universe. He's not here to, hey, I want to fight with the, uh, remember them, the Epicureans and the Stoics, as we learned about last week. Paul's given an opportunity to speak, and uh, as it's often been said, the Great Commission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, the Great Commission is fueled by obedience to the great commands, to love God more than anything and to love people as you love yourself. Hey, I've had a somewhat, not quite, but somewhat similar opportunity in my own life. Uh, when I got on an airplane, flew from Raleigh to Newark, New Jersey, and then took probably the longest flight possible from Newark, New Jersey to Mumbai, India, a city of 26 million people. But one of the days that we were there, me and a translator and then another um, a pastor friend of mine, we got and we rode out of the city and we just rode out, y'all, we just kept riding and I was, it's, we rode so long I was getting a little bit nervous because I knew that I had no idea how we were ever going to get back to where we started. Uh, but but we, we got to this village. I, I know I've shared some of the story before and uh, I, I was walking into the village and I uh, knelt down to tie my shoe uh, and as I knelt down to tie my shoe I looked up and a, uh, a snake of at least as long as that front pew, actually all the pews, so you just look at your pew. That's how long, the, and it just kind of went right by, the, um, right by the, uh, uh, the path there. And I was looking for a little assurance from my uh, interpreter friend. I said, that snake's not dangerous, is it? He said, oh, very dangerous. <laughs> I said, um, that's uh, not quite what I wanted to hear. 
walked into the village and come to a man's house. I mean, we're out there in the middle of nowhere. The, the villagers asked us, of us, me and my pastor friend, are they from National Geographic Explorer? That's what they asked. He said, the only people we've ever seen that looked like those guys were from National Geographic Explorer. And I began to, um, um, as, a, as the scripture commands, you go out two by two, and we were doing that. And, and uh, if you find a person of peace, hey, talk to the person. So we started to talk to this person. He comes out, fisherman, starts showing all the fishing gear. And I thought, y'all, we were in the middle of nowhere, but we began to talk. And then people just started showing up. It was like the event of the year. These two guys from who knows where have shown up in our village. And people just kept coming and coming and coming. And, and then they looked at me and said, um, well, you're obviously here for a reason. What would you like to share? The opportunity comes. What are we going to share? And so I began to share the gospel. I began to talk about the Lord of the universe and, and, uh, and of course, about Jesus and how God loves them. And, and we talked for at least 30 minutes or so, and I asked a simple question, uh, talking about Jesus. How many of you ever heard of Jesus? You know how many hands in the building? There are probably 100 people present. You know how many hands went up? Zero. Nobody in this place ever heard of Jesus. And what do you say? You've got one opportunity, one opportunity. Now, uh, many of us won't find ourselves out in the middle of nowhere uh, in a snake-infested village of India. I'm trying to make myself sound a little bit like Indiana Jones. It wasn't quite like that. Love of Christ compels us what Paul says because we've concluded this that he Jesus died for all therefore all have died and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised so Paul's provoked and it's provoked spirits that lead to proclaimed truth so let's look here and I've got what is it on your outline four or five I think it is absolute essentials that come from Paul's message. So let's go through them as he proclaims. So the first one's going to be this. Number one, God is the creator of the universe. God is the creator of the universe. Now, friends, that's either true or it's not true, right? Can't be one, uh, can't be a little bit of both. He's the creator of the universe or he's not. Paul stands there in the Areopagus and he says in verse 23, or it was beginning in verse 22, rather, standing in the midst, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. You remember the uh, Athenians had idols for everything. Had idols for Zeus and Apollos and Athena and on down the line, thousands of idols. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. This is really helpful. Paul starts where they are. There's probably not anybody gathered there that had ever read the Old Testament. There's nobody there gathered that's ever heard of Moses, ever heard of Joseph, ever heard of King David. So, so Paul, this is helpful if you're going to be a soul winner, he tries to find some starting ground. So I saw that you had this to an unknown God. The Athenians, uh, man, they had idols for everything, and then they had another idol that just said, if in case we missed anything, to an unknown God, we make this idol. And so Paul starts there. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Now look what he says. Look where he starts. Verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Premise number one. God is the, the creator of the universe. Now this is something everyone then could understand and you're going to be able to understand we talk about creation there are, th there are three simple things about creation and you know this number one we've got time right everybody say time time now we're not talking about the magazine we're just talking about time time itself and time exists in past 
Able to know what you did yesterday? Remember yesterday? Past, what do we got? Present, and we've got future. There's time. Second, second creation teaches us that there's what we'll call matter. Matter exists in three forms. we're, We're back to sixth grade science class. Anybody remember what forms matter takes? Solid, liquid, gas. Y'all are doing awesome. And, and then there's space. Look at this around this room, the space that we're in. There's height. Who's tracking with me? There's length and there's depth. You've got three things about creation. Time, which exists in three forms. Space, which exists in three forms. And matter, which exists in three forms. We might call them a trinity of trinities. Now, where do those things come from? Number one, you can't have one without the others, right? I mean, you can't have matter without space. If you have matter without space, where do you put the matter? There's no space. And that had to come about at a certain time, right? The Bible answers this in the very first book of the Bible, doesn't it? Time, space, matter. When? In the beginning, God created the heavens, there's your space, and the earth, there's matter. God is the creator of the universe. Where did time and space and matter come from? Now, I know it's 2016. This is what we've been taught, right? There's some great big explosion at some point. And then we just somehow got here, right? But Paul says God is the creator. God is the creator of the universe. Now, uh, he says here, the God who made the world and everything in it. Guess what that includes? That includes you. (laughs) That includes me. We have a creator. I'm not standing here, the the result of billions and billions of years of random chance and chemicals that just kind of, come together the question of course about the big bang is where where did the stuff that banged come from where did the stuff that blew up where did that come from where's its origin paul says god who made the world and everything in it and if god makes time space and matter he has to be above and beyond those things so here's a little application for us god cannot be limited or localized god cannot be limited or localized. Guess what he can't be limited by? Time, space, <laughs> or matter. And he's not local. Now, you see, um, here's, a, here's their criticism of Paul. Look up here in uh, verse number 18. Middle part of the verse. What does this babbler wish to say? Notice what they said. He seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities, of foreign divinities. So here's an assumption is that God's just localized. The Americans have their God, and then you go by the continents and so on and so forth. And then they got their God over there, and they got their God over there, and they got their God over there. And God's somehow localized. But Paul's declaring what? God's not localized. God is the creator of of the universe he's not localized to athens any more than he's localized to israel he's not the god of the east or the god of the west i mean look at the intricate design of the universe right i mean do you ever take time to to look at the photographs that come back from like the hubble have you seen them i mean the 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 more we look is the universe (laughs) we we understand it is so much bigger than we thought right so much bigger than they could have possibly imagined in Athens. It's trillions of galaxies. And if you ever want to be humbled, just study the universe a little bit, right? 
And when you can think about it on the macro level, how huge the galaxies are, now look at it from the micro level. And think about just how intricately your body is designed where you're seated. Now, now let me ask you a couple of little small questions. We have things called vital organs, right? Vital organs, your heart. Anybody, anybody sitting in the pew this morning and you're consciously telling your heart to beat? Anybody doing that? Somebody saying beat, 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 beat. How about your kidneys? They functioning with or without your cognizant awareness? Now, 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 one thing we do have, which we'll talk about a little bit more that is pretty interesting, is you can become cognizant of your breathing, right? Everybody breathe in. Everybody breathe out. You, you could control that. But the moment you stop thinking about it, guess what? Keep right on breathing. Were you in control of your breathing while you slept last night? You went to sleep, right? And just kept right on going. What's, what's going on? The Bible says that he took from the dirt and breathed into them the breath of life. And God made Adam and Eve in his own image. Number one, foundation. It's either true or it's not. God is the creator of the universe. But then Paul keeps going. It's not just that. Verse 25 will teach us that, number two, God is the sustainer of life. Look at verse 25. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Now, now God, the maker of the universe and all the galaxies in the universe, does not reside in little places that our hands can build. I mean, can't we just agree on this? God doesn't reside in some little thing. Oh, his creation is going to make a place. His creation is going to create a place, and then he's going to reside in that place? I don't think so. So here's the principle. God does not depend on us. We depend on him. We need to get clear about about this. God does not need you to do anything for him. He doesn't. And this is the heart of idolatry. Idolatry begins to turn the dynamic upside down. Instead of we're created in his image, what idolatry does is we create God in our image. And we begin to project on God, well, he must be this way because I'm this way. He, He doesn't need you to stroke his ego. Did you know that? He doesn't need you to tip your hat to him. He does not need your vague references, my vague references to the man upstairs. He's not nervously pacing back and forth, hoping someone on earth will pay attention to him. Friends, God's fine. Amen? He's glorious and wonderful and powerful and holy and majestic and righteous. Now, but he doesn't need us to do things for him. He's not feeble. He doesn't get worked up if the opinion polls of people, oh, more and more people don't believe in him. Well, that doesn't affect him in the sense of who he is. And in the great reality, we'll talk about more and more, in spite of that, he loves us. He, he gives to us, not we give to him. That's what Paul's saying. Your whole city here in Athens got the whole thing turned upside down because Athenians would have their idols and they'd put a little food out or they'd light some candles and so on and so forth and they think they're trying to help their God. But really what that is, listen, really what that is is I do things for you, God, so then you have to do things for me. And what, we, what idolatry is, it's got that paintbrush out, painting the floor, let me paint God in a corner, and if I do this, or do that, or don't do this, or don't do that, then you're compelled to, you fill in the blank. And God's not that way, friends. God's not that way. He, we're dependent on Him. You're sitting there dependent on Him for life, for breath, for everything. 
One of the times that I was most scared in my life was I was six or seven years old, and um, I grew up in what was probably the um, last era of uh, children just not having all these safety parameters and precautions. You know, now the child can't go out without a whole bodysuit on, you know, and buckle them down with eight seat belts in the car. And so, and that stuff's good. I'm not saying that stuff. But I didn't grow up with all that stuff. My uh, seatbelt was my mom's right arm. You know what I'm saying? So that's kind of how, how I grew up. And uh, I was on a playground. Uh, my brothers were probably playing baseball in Little League or whatnot. And uh, I was on a playground by myself, and I started to spin this merry-go-round. You remember the old-school, metal, steel-framed, dangerous merry-go-rounds. I was just spinning that, and nobody else was out there. And, uh, and my plan was I was going to spin it, spin it, and then I was going to jump on the merry-go-round. That's what I was going to do. So I'm spinning, spinning. Uh, yeah, it's not a good plan. Don't do this at home. And so I was spinning, spinning, and I jumped and went to jump, and uh, that metal post just nailed me right in the back and kind of threw me down, and it knocked the wind out of me. And it's the first time it ever happened in my life. And, and I was sitting there, and I couldn't breathe, and nobody's around, and I'm starting to panic. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. That's all it takes for us to realize We, we think so much of ourselves. Y'all, I can't even match up the socks from my laundry. We're not that great. We're not so great. We confuse ourselves and deceive ourselves into thinking that we're somebody. And Paul's standing there in that man-made Areopagus, probably as fine a facility, a fine a setting that human beings could, could uh, design and build. And he has the audacity to say, we're actually counting on him. He, he's not counting on us. In spite of all our idolatry. It reminds us when Moses was at the burning bush and said, Who shall I say sent me? He said, Tell him I am who I am, the divine name of the Lord. We often call it Yahweh, but as we've talked about before, it's really most likely just the sound of breathing. You, you, just, you just try to you just try to sustain your life without breathing. That's as close as you can get to living without God. Hey, friends, even the atheist who says, I don't believe in God, has to take a breath and say his name to say, I don't believe in God. He's marked you down to the most vital aspects of your existence, that you are his creation. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? He's the creator. He's the sustainer. Number three, He's the ruler of all nations. Verse 26, he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Did you know God's not from North Carolina? He's not from the Midwest. He's not from Europe. He's not from Africa. He's not from Asia. He's not from any of those places. All those places are under his authority. He's the ruler of all nations. God made those places. Those places didn't make God. And all those nations go back to one man. That's what the scripture says, Adam. He made from one man every nation of mankind. Now we, we like to divide ourselves and separate ourselves into Athenians or Hebrews. Again, look at their criticism. He's a preacher of foreign divinities translation he ain't from around here right where all those nations find their existence 
from God. In other words, all that divides us are man-made divisions. You hear what I'm saying? Man-made divisions. So God is, application number three is, God's not distant, he's not unknowable, and he's not disinterested. You see how all these things work together? He's not just creator, didn't just create it, as, uh, and, and then just step back and said, all right, as the old philosophy was, he's a clockmaker, and he winds up the clock and then just steps back, right? Just see, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> he's not just creator and sustainer. He's creator, sustainer. Now he's the, he's the ruler. He's the ruler of the universe. You can't get more involved, friends, than the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You can't get any more knowable and interested and up close than his name is Emmanuel, God with us. You can't get more interested than God who's above time, space, and matter coming as a human being, limiting, if you will, himself to time, space, and matter. And in that matter, his own body hanging on a cross, shedding his blood for the forgiveness of your sin. He's not... Hey, you got a notion of God that he's just up there distant. That's not who the scripture proclaims that he is. Number four, quickly, is God is the father of all human beings. Verse 28. Yeah, actually, well, in verse 20, yeah, he's actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. Creator, yes. Sustainer, amen. Ruler of all nations, absolutely. But notice what else Paul is saying is that we are his offspring. He's, he's, a, he's a father, as it were. Remember Jesus when he taught us to pray. He said, then you pray like this, creator of the universe. Well, that's fine to pray that, but that's not what Jesus said. Ruler of all nations, and that's fine to pray that. Remember, what, what did Jesus say? Do you then pray then like this? How? Help me, church. The Father. The Father. The Father who is in heaven. Not some impersonal being. And this mark is on all of us, friends. Even our earthly families are marked by this. Without exception, one of the most important questions we could go around the room and ask every person in the room is this. Tell me about your father. It's important, isn't it? Because it speaks about our origin, our purpose, our destiny. Now, I've uh, decided I'm likely, likely never going to pitch in the World Series. Probably not going to happen at this point. Probably not going to quarterback a team to the Super Bowl. Probably not going to be a best-selling author and on and on. But by God's grace, here's one thing I can do. I can be a good father. I can be a good dad to my children. You're right. That's one of the ways that, that we can proclaim the gospel truth. You see, God desires that you would know him as creator. Yes, as ruler. Yes, as sustainer. Yes, but God's desire is that you know him as your father. So here's an application for this one. is God cannot be created or ruled as idolatry presumes right we're going to make him god out to be this or god out to be that god says here's how i want you to know me i'm your heavenly father i love you i care about you and i've come for you 
sent my son, the Lord Jesus. Now, we think that we're a little more sophisticated than the Athenians because we don't have statues and temples everywhere, although that seems to be changing in our own day. But their gods are our gods. Money, sex, power. We don't call them Apollos or Zeus or Athena, but we bow down to them all the same, don't we, in our culture. And there Paul stands and says, God is the father of all human beings. And then number five, number five is God is the judge of all the world. He started it, he sustains it, and he's going to bring it to a conclusion. Verse 30, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he's fixed a day on which he will Here's the most unpopular word in the English vocabulary today. Ready for it? Judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now, God is your creator. He made you. He designed you. He knows you. He loves you. But the first lie in the garden Do you remember what it was? Genesis 3, the serpent, more crafty than any beast of the field. The first lie in the garden was this, that number five is not true. That was the first lie. You shall surely not die. Here's what God had said. Eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the day of you eat of it, you shall surely die. In the Hebrew language, it's to say it as emphatically as possible. You shall surely die. And then the serpent comes along and just says, no, that's not so. You shall not surely die. And that's why we all have to decide, friends, in this room. Is he the creator? Is he the sustainer? Is he the ruler? Is he the father? And is he the judge of the world? And Paul gives us three quick but very important facts about this judgment. Let's read it one more time. Now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Not some people in some places who are going to decide, okay, we'll go with this God. All people everywhere to do what? To repent. See, that word implies that it's not so much about what idol your hands craft, but your own heart, your own life. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. So, so a couple of quick things. Number one, God's judgment is universal. It's coming. And who's it coming for? It's coming for everybody. He's fixed a day on which he will judge the world. Now, here's the truth. We talked about it a little bit last week is um, we get pretty uh, good at um, making people believe about us what we want them to believe about us. Remember this little small principle from last week? Who you are when no one is around is what? Who you really are, right? What you look at on your tablet when nobody else is around, that's who you really are. What you say when nobody else is around, well, that would be talking to yourself, but uh, true enough right? The words in your, in your mind. It's who you really are. How you pray when nobody else is around. That's how you really pray. How you share the gospel with people when somebody else isn't keeping tabs. That's who you really are. And we made this correction. It's not quite appropriate to say who you are when no one is watching is who you really are because the scripture says all things, or, or sorry, nothing is hidden from his sight. God's judgment is universal. When we live in a world where um, it'd be nice to say the justice system works, but it doesn't always work. 
doesn't always work for everybody. But number two is that his judgment is righteous. This judge cannot be bought off. What are you going to give him? He's the creator. He's the sustainer. What are you going to bribe him with? Again, who's ever given to God that God should repay? He, he can't be bought off. He can't be swayed. His judgment is righteous. And friends, that's a mighty big problem for me. Huge problem for me. I have to stand before him and he knows everything about me. He knows what I've, what I've done, who I am. And then third, God's judgment is definite. Look what the Bible says there. He has fixed a day. That word fixed, it's a definite word. It's not an appeals court. Don't get to stand there and say, I plead the fifth. No, no, no. You will give an account. It reminds me a little bit when I was in um, high school. I went to senior high, again, the way that we said it when I was growing up. Rocky Mount High School, when I was growing up. And uh, when I was coming along, you got to leave campus for lunch. Lunch bell would ring, you'd get in your car, and you would go to um, uh, any number of places to, to eat. In my um, uh, beginning of, I think it was my sophomore year, they had announced this day after day after day, if you want to leave campus for lunch, here's what you got to do. You got to take this form to your parents. Your parent has to fill it out, sign it, bring it back, and so on and so forth. And they'd made that announcement for a week straight. And then we got to the day where we could finally leave campus for lunch. And you know what? Oh, I just forgot. Just never got my mom to sign the, the form. As a matter of fact, um, I left the form at home. But I started looking around. Now, I'm just telling y'all some stuff. I'm just a wicked sinner. I sat there, and all my friends, every last one of my friends, was going to leave campus for lunch, which left me um, with the prospect of sitting in the cafeteria by myself, which nobody wants to do that, right? I mean, that's like the worst-case scenario. So I started looking around, and all the lunch passes were blue. And I was sitting in biology class, and I looked over to my side, and my teacher had a stack of blue sheets of paper. And you want to talk about wicked, here's what I did. Now, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm really not trying to even be funny about it. I guess I was kind of approaching that way. But as I'm talking about it, I started to fold up and make it look like a lunch pass. That's what I started to do. <laughs> we started to head out the campus. Y'all, this, this is the truth. I'd never done anything like that in my life. And uh, I'm, just a, I'm, just a, I'm just a by nature rule follower. How many of you are rule followers? I'm not even going to ask you who are not rule followers because you'd say, I'm not raising my hand. I'm doing what you tell me to do. So my heart gets, starts racing, and I'm like, am I really going to try to pull this off? There's a parking lot there, and a vice principal is standing there. And the vice principal's son was one of my friends. And I had this little thought in my mind. Even if he sees that this pass isn't real, I bet he'll let me slide through. No big deal. So the bell rings, and we're all, I mean, it's a madhouse. Everybody trying to run to get their car. And, and I'm running, and I'm approaching the gate. And a vice principal sitting there, standing there, rather. And he's checking the passes. You can go, you can go, you can go. Comes to me, and he says, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold it right there. He says, what have you got in your hand? I mean, this is, I mean, it wasn't well thought out. I just immediately just kind of turned around and started walking back. <laughs> they had told me for a week straight, you want to go to lunch? Here's what you have to do. And it's really not all that complicated. You just have your parents sign the form, and you'll be able to go. And as I stood there, Student after student after student had heard the same announcement, and they were ready for the moment, right? They come, they go, all right, we're ready to go. And they went off and went to McDonald's or whatever else it would be and ate their lunch. And I had this notion, I had this notion, last minute, we'll figure it out when we get there. Oh, vice principal's son knows me. He'll let me through. My hope was 
the vice principal will be, to use these terms, unrighteous. He'll let the rule slide. Or that it wouldn't be definite. Or that it wouldn't be universal. That, oh, yeah, well, I think he ought to stop some of those kids. But me? I'll be a special case. And I can't help, when I think about that story, I am certain there's lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of people. And I know this, I say this because the scripture says this is what's true. Wide is the way that leads to destruction, and many are they who are on it. There are a lot of people who, when it comes to the judgment, when it comes to death, when it comes to facing God, they have this mentality, we'll just figure it out where we, when we get there. And their life is consumed by other idols, and maybe it's not anything really all that dramatic. It's just, well, what time is kickoff today, and what's on TV tonight? And they're never thinking about the fact that you're going to stand before him, and this is what Paul says. Hey, you Athenians, he commands all people everywhere to repent. That's the key word. That's the blue pass. That's repent. What does that mean? Repent means that you've got to turn around. He's, he's appointed a man. Who's he referring to here, by the way? By a man whom is he appointed. Uh, of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Well, friends, he's talking about Jesus. And I want to say as clearly as I know how, that God's desire for you is that you'd repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's some people's hope. Some people's hope is he's not a creator. He's not a ruler. He's not a sustainer. He's not my father, and he's not the judge. Now, again, this is Paul's message. These things are either true or they're not true. My recommendation to you, of course, is that you think about them very carefully. Where did you come from? Did you call yourself into being? Did you decide on your own that you were going to exist? What are you doing here? And where are you going? If you've got a Bible, I want you to look at one passage with me. It's in 1 Timothy Paul, Paul's writing. I want you to see what he says here. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. 1 Timothy 2, 1. First of all, then I urge that supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling you the truth. I'm not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in truth. How many mediators? How many mediators? One mediator. One way. One gospel. One truth. That's Paul's message there in Athens. Now, quickly and briefly, I want you to see the response. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. This guy's ridiculous. This message is absurd. You preach this message today, guess what some people are going to do? Some mocked. There might be some people here in the room. That guy up there, he's lost his mind. Some people mocked. And as we think along these lines, if you're here today, and this message of God, creator, sustainer, ruler, father, and judge 
you'd call it ridiculous. Nothing would move them in the slightest. To them, in Athens, Paul was an uneducated and foolish man. My only, well, not my only, but what I'd say as we wrap this message up is, then therefore, what are your answers of where we came from, where we're going, and why we're here? Some people are really, really good, really, really good at trying to criticize and critique a message like Paul's and not so good, not so good at then constructing their own answers to those questions. So if you're in a class or you're in college or you just read or you watch, just always ask that question. Okay, here's what they criticize, but what is the answer that they then offer? Others procrastinated. See, they weren't so rude about it. Others said, verse 32, we'll hear you again about this. They weren't as rude or verbally dismissive, but in the end, it's the same decision, right? They don't mock, but you foreign babbler. They said, we'll we'll just just worry about this more. They procrastinated. And my input to anybody who's procrastinating about these things is is a couple. Number one, you, you don't really ever know. Talk about not being in control. You don't ever really know when is your last day on earth. Friends, I've done plenty of funerals for people who had no idea that their funeral was going to be that week. He's fixed today. He's fixed today. That's where we're headed. It's utter foolishness to know something's coming and not be prepared for it. But that's not all. Paul went out from their midst. Verse 34. But some, some, doesn't say dozens, doesn't say hundreds. Some joined him and believed, among whom were Dionysius the Areopagite, probably lived nearby, probably didn't know Paul was coming that day to preach. Man showed up and started talking, he listened. And a woman named Damaris and others with them. Some believed. Stand together. We're going to pray together. Can you find yourself in that audience? Listen to a message like Paul's. Some said, that's utter foolishness. That's nonsense. That's ridiculous. Others said, mm, you've given me something to think about today. I'll, I'll, I'll think more about this later. Some believed. Some believed. In our time of invitation, anybody who would be like Dionysius and Damaris, the invitation is open to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be ready for the universal, righteous, and definite judgment.